thank Thee for Your <coughs> goodness and mercy and grace to us. We thank You for the beauty of the snow which has fallen, and we pray You give travel mercies to all who travel and and um, um, for to, to get here to church and to get home. And uh, we pray that You be glorified and magnified in the preaching of Your Word today. And may we leave here again rejoicing in the mighty salvation that we who are Your blood-bought saints have in Thee. We love You and praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, if you would, to First Peter. First Peter chapter 1. The name of the message is Rejoicing Through Tribulation. Rejoicing Through Tribulation. First Peter chapter 1, verses... We'll read verses 1 to 9. And our text will be verses 6 to 9. But uh, let's read it in context right now. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, and whom... Though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now, last week we looked at verses 3 to 5, where we considered that we are saved according to the abundant mercy of our great God and King. And it's in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're born again by the Holy Spirit of God, which is begotten in verse 3 unto a, a lively hope, which is a living hope. Our, our hope is alive. It's, it's Christ and Christ alone. He's a lively hope. And it's in and through Him. And we consider that our inheritance, oh, what a blessed verse that was, that our inheritance is reserved in heaven for us and it's incorruptible and undefiled. Beloved. It's incorruptible and it'll never fade away. It'll never fade away. Because it's in Christ and it's Christ who keeps us. God incarnate in the flesh, our great Redeemer. Then we considered in verse 5 and found great comfort that we are kept. Not by our own power or strength, but by the power of God. By the power of God and God alone, who has saved us and he will keep us and he will one day present us faultless. Faultless before his throne. Faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So now let us consider verses 6 to 9, and as they tie into which, that which has been brought forth by Peter already, God's people rejoice in the precious truths of God. They rejoice that they are the elect of God. They rejoice that they've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. They rejoice that they are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, and that all their sins are forgiven in Christ, and they rejoice in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, because without the resurrection... We would not know if God was satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ. But God is satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ. And part of the gospel 
To preach the gospel is also to preach the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ because he was raised for our justification. God's satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ. And God's people rejoice. And we rejoice in the inheritance which is reserved in heaven for us that fades not away. And we rejoice that we're kept by the power of God. So these saints would rejoice through all this. But I want us to, to, to stop and think about it. brother or, or Sister Nancy and I were talking about this yesterday. The, the, the suffering that these saints were going through. You know, we, we get persecuted here and there by words and things by people or by our family members. and so. These people... These people in, this, in, the, in the text here, they were, their faith was being tried by them being hauled out of their houses and thrown in prison and, and um, being killed for what they believe. So let us keep that in mind too. You know, we go through trials and we do. We, we go through tribulations. We go through trials in our minds. We go through physical trials. We go through health trials. But, but let us look at the context of what these people were going through, what these dear saints were going through. And so, what comfort it would bring them when Peter is writing this letter to them. What comfort they would glean. I'm kept by the power of God. Even though someone takes my life, I'm kept by God. I'm kept by Him. So they would glean great, great comfort from this. Great comfort. That they are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So let us look at the, at the times that they're in and, and see that they're rejoicing. They're rejoicing. And we see that it's times of there's times of happiness in times of sorrow. There's times of happiness in times of heaviness. As the scriptures proclaim, look at verse 6. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. They're rejoicing in the sufferings that they're going through because their hope is in Christ and Christ alone. Fear not he who can destroy your body, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. They fear God. They're in awe of God. They're in awe of their Savior. And these precious saints are rejoicing in these precious truths that Peter has brought forth. See, what Peter's done, he's, he's laid the groundwork and the foundation of their hope. And it's in Christ. He's done that in the previous verses. And what hope that would bring them as they, they had this letter read to them. And they're going through these situations. And they, they receive this letter and what comfort it would bring them through these, these times of sufferings, as they listen and hear. And then they hear that this suffering, it says, now for a season. It's only for a season. Whatever we go through in life, whatever trial comes our way, it's only for a season. God takes us through them all the time. All the time. And note here, Peter is bringing forth the present state of the believer in this verse. Where we've seen this, haven't we? He goes past, present, future, past, future. In this verse, he's bringing the present. What they're going, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. So he's bringing the present situation before them. And remember, he's he's built all that foundation of their hope before he's brought this up. Brother Mahan brings forth a wonderful comment on this verse. He says the word. Temptation refers not to temptation to sin, but refers to trials, which God in his wisdom decrees and permits for our good. These trials come in different ways, 
the trial of difficult service, the trial of reproach from unbelievers, the trial of riches or poverty, the trial of sickness or sorrow, the trial of success or failure, the trial of disappointment, the trial of, of maybe dying for your faith. They all come. They all come. And he says, sometimes trials of faith are unpleasant to the flesh, but not always. God may permit a man to prosper in order to try his faith. He may not just put a man through poverty to try his faith, but he may also have a man prosper to try his faith. Because when we're rich, sometimes we think, well, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> See, that can be a trial all its own. I remember here in Spurgeon, heard of a, one, of the, one of the members had inherited a great amount of wealth from, a, from, a, from a, an uncle. And he gathered the, the saints together and he said, we need to pray for this dear brother. He's going to go through a trial like he's never faced ever before. So, trials come in all different situations, in all different, different sizes in that sense, in all, all different situations. Now, the word heaviness here in, our, in, in, the, in this verse is defined in the Greek as to make sorrowful. So, they have, they're, they have, they're rejoicing, and yet they're sorrowful. We've all experienced that, haven't we? We've all experienced that in different situations. It says to make sorrowful, to afflict with sadness, cause grief, to throw into sorrow, to grieve, offend, to make one uneasy. And if we were not in heaviness during our troubles, we should not be like our covenant head who was despised and rejected by man. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Our Lord went through that, didn't he? He did. And this heaviness is of, is of essential use to a Christian. As who shall, now think of this. This is, when we're going through a trial in, in something, we don't think, well, this is a good use for me, <laughs> do we? But it is of good use for us. And you know why? Because we can speak to others whose hearts are broken when they're going through the same situation. That often happens too. That often happens. And it draws us closer to our great God and King. I remember talking to Sister Marge and she said, you know, what I'm going through is drawing me closer to the Lord than I've ever been before. Oh, now she's seeing our Redeemer, isn't she? Yeah. Oh my. The word manifold in this is defined as various in character. Various in character. It says, wherein you greatly rejoice... So now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptation. Manifold there in the Greek is various in character. Just as Brother Mahan bought it. All different trials. All different situations. Various in character. So Peter brings these truths before our brethren, comforting them with these precious truths that he's spoken of before, that they might rejoice while enduring this heaviness and these sorrows that they're experiencing. Because their hope is not on the situation, their hope is on Christ. Their hope is looking to Him. And let us remember too, God's ordained our trials and tribulations. He's ordained them. Trials of our faith. Look at the next verse. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. 
So we see Peter in this verse bringing forth that these present trials have an end in sight. And he's pointing them now to the future again. And at the latter part of this verse, having them keep their eyes upon Christ and not upon their circumstances that they are currently going through. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So Peter's bringing forth that God has a reason and purpose for every trial that the believer will go through. He does. He does. Every temptation, every affliction that he brings into our lives, that the trial of your faith, the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes though it be tried with fire. And our faith is much more precious than all the gold in this world. Than all the gold in this world. More precious than gold. Gold will perish someday. But gold must be tested by fire. It must be purified by fire. And when gold comes through the fire, it's purged of all its dross and shines all the brighter. So faith that comes through trials and tribulations, and temptations, is purged of pride, hypocrisy, and self-righteousness, and self-reliance. We're, we're, <laughs> we're being uh, weaned, so to say, from self. From self. To trust in our great God and King. And what happens when our, when our faith is tried, We rest and trust more and more in Christ Jesus our Lord. It becomes purified more and more. My goodness. Faith is tried in order to strengthen it and increase it. Now let us remember that too. Faith is tried in order to strengthen it and increase it. The more my faith is used, the stronger it becomes. And let us always remember that trials do not produce faith. They reveal faith. They reveal faith. Just as our works reveal faith. They don't justify us. They reveal faith. They reveal faith. Faith, one commentator said, has tried to reveal the value of it to the believer in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? If in this, turn with you, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 15, 19. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. Look at this little verse here. And let us remember the object of the believer's hope is not any, any creature or any other man or angel or gold or silver or not even our own righteousness because it's like filthy rags in the, in the eyes of the Lord. The object of the believer's hope is Christ and Christ alone. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19. If in, only, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So who is the object of our hope. It's Christ. And the hope that we have, and if our hope's only in this life, then we're most miserable. But our hope is not only in the, it's eternal. Our hope is eternal. And our hope is Christ. He's the object of our hope. It's eternal. When a person is born again by the Holy Spirit of God and given faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ appears infinitely lovely to him. Is it not so with you? Think of how you used to think of Christ. We didn't even think of him before we were saved. And think of how you think of him now. 
Is he not loving? Is he not the object of your hope? <laughs> oh. As the believer contemplates who he is, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, the believer says in his heart, he is the chiefest among 10,000. He is the chiefest among 10,000, and he is altogether lovely to me. To me. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, and the believer's heart fills with love when they reflect upon what he has done and what he has suffered in their place. What he has given for them. What has he given for you who believe? His life. His life. And what has he promised? That one day you'll be with him in glory. And the believer says in their heart, I love him. Oh, I love him. What a Savior. I love him only because he first loved me. Oh, what a Savior. I love him who, who loved not his life to death for my salvation. I love him who has washed me from my sins in his own blood and who will one day present me to the, before his throne faultless. And he'll do it with exceeding joy. Oh, my heart loves him. Is it so with you? I pray it will be. I pray God would make it so. If it's not. And this helps us greatly when we go through trials and times of heaviness of our soul that Christ alone is our surety, our Savior, our Redeemer and that His blood has purchased our pardon. It's not a matter of if. It's, it's a matter of He's done it. He's done it. And we rejoice. His righteousness clothes us. He's all our justification. His sacrifice was for his people. And and if I'm one of his people, I rejoice. (laughs) That's for me. That's for me. And all the forgiveness of our sins are found in him. He's all our justification before God. He's all our salvation. And, and, And he is eternal life for the believer. So our hope's not just here. Our hope's in eternity too, isn't it? In Christ. We're going to be, we'll be looking at the one we hope in when we're in glory. Oh my. My, oh my. Turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Our trials enable us to comfort others who are tried with the same situations. Now, we don't think about that when we're going through the situation. We don't ever think that. But they, it's true. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Oh, look, at, there's one of his titles, and the God of all comfort. He's, he's the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Look at this. Who comfort us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So we can come alongside our brother who's going through the same situation or a sister and say, I know what you're going through. I know what you're going through. I know what you're struggling with. Bear ye one another's burdens. Eh? My, oh my. And faith which survives trial will be honored and praised at the appearing of Christ. It will bring glory to Christ. It brings glory always to Him. Always to Him. Look at verse 7. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of the Lord Jesus, at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So it always brings glory to Christ. And, and why? Because He's the one who keeps us through all the trials. He's the one who keeps us. 
no matter what we're going through, no matter what the various situations, as the Greek brings out, no matter what they are, he gets all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. So Peter brings forth before the, the believers, before those who he's writing to, that the Lord will and is coming back at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So now he's bringing future again before them. Behold, John says, the beloved disciple, behold, he cometh with the clouds and every eye shall see him. He's coming. He's coming. We don't know when, but he's coming. <laughs> he's coming. Ye man of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven, this same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven, so shall come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. He's coming. He's coming. Turn, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Oh, what comfort we can glean from this precious truth, the second coming of Christ. What precious, precious comfort we can glean from this to know, to know that our Lord is coming back. He's coming back. We don't, like I say, no man knows the hour of the day. No man, someone tells you they know the hour of the day, they're lying, beloved. They don't know. No one knows. No. But look at what it says here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And now why are we supposed to remember these things? Well, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Oh, our king's coming. <laughs> we see everything going on. We know he's coming back. It's in his timing. Now, he may come back for us at our death before he comes back in his second coming, but he's coming. He's coming. And then look at verses 8 and 9 in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says this, Whom heaven's not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Here we have two sweet verses before us. And, and the saints who Peter wrote to had never seen the Lord as far as we know, face to face. As far as we know. They'd never seen him face to face. They'd never seen him in the flesh. But, but the one who's writing to them is one of those who've seen him in the flesh. One of those who's seen him in the flesh. And just like the saints of old, to who this letter was written, we who believe today have never seen Christ face to face with our natural eyes, but we believe upon him, don't we? We believe upon him. We believe not with a, a, a um, historical or temporary faith, temporary faith, but, but we're actually looking to him by faith. We're actually looking to him by faith. Looking to our Lord and Savior with, with confidence. With confidence. With unspeakable joy. And with full expectation, aren't we? And beloved, we're never going to stop looking to him. Even when we're in glory, we'll be looking at him. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. And we trust and rest in God's promises to us, just as Abraham did, being confident that what he has promised, he's able to perform. Over in Romans chapter 4, I'll read this, verses 20 and 21. It says, He staggered now at the promises of God through unbelief. Abraham didn't stagger at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. That's what we believe, too. Right? 
He saved us. He said He's going to take us to glory. And we believe. He will do that. He will do that. Oh, we don't, we don't stagger at His promises. No. No, we're fully persuaded that what He's promised, He's able to perform. Note in verse 9, it says, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, in 1 Peter 1, 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Here is the saint's final deliverance from the trials and tribulations of this world. Now, he's bringing them future again. But he's saying, you're going through all this heaviness and these manifold temptations and trials. But this is the end of your faith. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Oh my, verses 6 and 7, called manifold temptations in the trial of your faith, what they're currently going through, and then here he brings them that which awaits us. The total deliverance of the believer as compared to a temporary deliverance each time in trial that comes our way. It's a temporary deliverance, isn't it? Because we're, we're, remember what Scott Richardson said? The believer's either in trouble or going into trouble in trouble, or coming out of trouble. And it's just this constant, isn't it? We all, we all know that. We've all experienced that in our life. But this, this deliverance spoken of in verse 9, there's no more trials. There's no receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. The outcome of faith is the complete salvation of our souls from sin and from the law and from hell and from eternal death to eternal glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ because our faith is in Christ, the one who keeps us, the one who saved us, the one who's redeemed us, the one who will glorify us. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. And nowhere else. That's the only place the gospel preacher will point you is to Christ and Christ's law. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Look at this wonderful... We're going to read this portion here, verses one to fourteen. This is now these are these are some folks who went through some trials and tribulations too. Hebrews chapter eleven. And this salvation, beloved, we're we're holders of eternal life right now. <laughs> we're saved right now. We're saved right now. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Look at this wonderful portion. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you see something, you're not hoping for it. Right? But we don't see this. We don't see Christ, but we hope in Him. (laughs) We hope in Him, don't we? Oh my beloved. Ah, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What's our, our hope is to be in glory with our Savior, isn't it? Forever. Because our hope's in Him. For by it the elders attained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen are not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. He offered a lamb without blemish. Cain offered the works of his hands. By which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God, and he only pleased God in Christ. 
By, but faith, it, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. <coughs> and remember, What's the only difference between Noah and all those who perished? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What's the difference between us and all who perished? We found grace in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> That's the only difference. The only, and, and our hope is the same hope Noah had. It's in Christ. It's in Christ. Oh my. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, and not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promises, in the strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now, I want to just back up one thing. It says, by faith he, he sojourned in the land of promises in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles. Oh, look at First Peter. It says, we're strangers scattered throughout Pontius Galatia. Oh, beloved, we're strangers in this world. We're strangers. And we look for a city who's, who has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Verse 10 through faith, also Sarah after herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even one of him, one and him as good as dead, so many as stars of the sky and the multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, they were looking to Christ, beloved. They were looking to the end of their salvation. Christ in glory, in glory, looking to him. And were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were what? Strangers and pilgrims on this earth. That's what we are. Strangers and pilgrims. That's what we are, beloved. For they that say such things, declare plainly that they seek a country. And we do seek a better country, don't we? Glory. Where our great God and King is. Where our great God and King is. Oh my. And verse 9 says, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So let us close further reflecting upon the beautiful and instructive contrast of these verses which bring before us the state of Christians in the present. They're in heaviness. They're going through manifold temptations and trials. And in the state of the Christian's future in heaven, in glory, beholding the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the points of contrast are, now and here, Christ, the, the great object of faith, while there's suffering and affliction, he is not bodily present with us, and he is only known imperfectly by us. And our fellowship with him is through the word and prayer. Now contrast that to when we are in glory. And we will behold him face to face. Now we see through a glass darkly. But then, 
Oh my. Oh my. He will be before us. And we will be in His presence. And what fellowship that will be. And now contrast this here in the present. The Christian is exposed to manifold trials. But in glory, we see the glorious results of those trials. And we see the object of our faith face to face. Face to face. Now, now think of what great joy that would have been bought these believers who were going through some pretty horrific times of trial. We have it easy. We really do. But we, we, I'm not going to lessen anything that we go through, though, because sometimes we go through some pretty tough trials, too. We do. We do. We all do. And, and we don't always share them with one another. And it can, be, it can be desperately hard. But God never leaves us. Just like these saints of old were comforted by these scriptures. Oh, may they comfort us. Now, while we're here upon this earth, the Christian is in... Now, now let us remember this too. While we're here on this earth, we're in a season of heaviness. We are. And that, that those seasons come and go just like the seasons come and go on this earth. We might have a good season going great and then boom, we might hit something just... Right? But let us keep our eye upon the end and the object of our faith which is Christ and Christ alone. And you see what great comfort this can bring these saints and what great comfort it can bring us. And we can greatly rejoice while we're going through sorrows. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee again for this time. And Oh Lord Jesus, what a Savior You are, what a Redeemer. We pray that You be glorified in the rest of the meetings today, that our hearts would be filled with joy and that we'd be strengthened for the, the seasons of heaviness which come our way through the preaching of your word. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.